They found the middle bronze Jericho wall and it had two walls. And the way you've got to think about it is there was a wall at the bottom called a revetment wall. And I believe that that's, see that stone wall there is the remains of that revetment wall. That went all the way around the city. Okay, that was, and it went, was higher than what you see. And then, can you imagine a steep slope going up to the top of the mound from there? And then they covered that with a kind of white, uh, slippery, kind of limestone surface. So, and then on top of the hill, there was another wall that was a red brick, mud brick wall. So what you stared you at the face was a revetment wall at the bottom. You had to get over that. Then you've got something going up at 40 degrees of a slippery slope. And then you've got the, the city wall along the top uh, which was a red mud brick wall. So very difficult. Even if you get over this initial wall, you're a sitting duck as you try and get up this plastered wall, plastered slope, the revetment slope. Here we are on the Mount of Temptation. We're in hell. There's a monastery here on the side. And remember that after Jesus was baptized, and in fact he would have been baptized in the River Jordan, not too far from here. And then it says that he came up into the wilderness of Judea, which this is the beginning of the wilderness of Judea, and it continues on towards Jerusalem. For 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was tempted Satan. And uh, he fasted and prayed. Just as the first Adam was tested. Oh, I don't wonder. See you. 
As we're looking now, we're at the top of Masada, the mountain fortress where the zealots held out against the Roman army in AD 73 and the, it was impregnable. They had plenty of water, plenty of supplies from the cisterns, they could grow things on the summit. They had Herod's palaces, they had plenty of resources, they could have lived here for many years. And there was, it was easily defended. But the Romans came up with an ingenious plan and they actually built a ramp from the bottom to the top of one side of the mountain. And this is the ramp on the west side of the mountain and it was uh, an incredible feat of engineering. It's even eroded away somewhat now, but it was, this ramp was, is artificial, built by the Romans, and they could bring their siege machines up to the top of the ramp and knock the wall, the defensive wall down. Here we are at the watchtower of Masada, the highest point. We're looking down here on the storerooms and further back is the, is the bathhouse and administration building and then further at that end is the northern palace. it says my beloved is to me as a cluster of henna blooms blooms in the vineyards of Engedi. So Engedi has always been an oasis by the Dead Sea. Give us a thumbs up, Gabriel. That's it. 
Walking down the streets, it, uh, walking down the streets is incredible um, because you really feel like you're walking down the road of a city um, with the buildings on either side, on the left and on the right, um, and it's so wide and sort of winding. How anybody can think it's just a, a collection of uh, rock formations, unusual rock formations, I just don't know. It's um, it, it's it's eerie because the place is absolutely silent as well, dead silence. You can't hear hardly anything. Um, so it's, it's almost like a, a ghost town, literally. Um, and, and you can't help but think about what happened there 4,000 years ago when God uh, rained his judgment upon Gomorrah and the other cities of the plain. And um, yeah, it gives you a lot to think about. It gives you a lot to think about in terms of your own Christian life and how you're living. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad I was able to see it. It's one of the most remarkable things I've seen here in Israel. On the Israel trip, the Israel trip is the OBC on the Israel trip. We started our trip by the Sea of Galilee, went southwards by the Jordan Valley, passed through the cursed places like Chorazim, where Christ tried to preach to the Pharisees, proceeded to the other places where Christ fought, and where biblical battles battle were fought. Yes, before your eyes a story will unfold. Qumran, where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, to the city of long ago, an oasis in the desert like Jerry Cove. Psalms 2 was written in the cave. We placed the places where King Saul sought Dave, as it was the place of protection, plus solitude for the one of perfection. And he says he'll have healing in his wings. That we can do all things. Now here we are in the promised land. Come and see, try to understand. Branches broken off, now we're grafted in. Our next journey is to Jerusalem, with OBC to Jerusalem, OBC in Jerusalem. Branches broken off, now we're grafted in. Oh yes. Here is a very dramatic valley, it's called the Wadi Kelt. If you follow this valley all the way down, it'll take you to the Mount of Temptation and Jericho. Uh, it's be about a three hour hike down that valley at least to get to that. Uh, but this was actually the main road that people would go through to go from Jericho up to Jerusalem, up to the pilgrimage in Jericho. So down there is the lowest place on earth and they would travel all the way up to Jerusalem. And they would go through this valley and it was also called the Valley of Achor. Do you remember in the Bible it talks about the Valley of Achor? That's where um, when uh, they were, Achan sinned as they were just conquered Jericho. Achan sinned. He held on to the stuff at Jericho and he was buried at the base of Valley of Achor. But also Hosea talks about the Valley of Achor being a door of hope. 
because it was through this valley that they would enter into the promised land. Jesus would have traveled up and down. You'll see behind here the Roman road uh, went, uh, the, not the bottom of the valley, but just up on the hill on the left. You can see faint traces of the Roman road and the Roman aqueduct that, that would have passed through. See where those trees are? Would have gone through there and you can see a faint line leading around. As, as we heard, many people believe this is the setting for Psalm 23 as well because uh, it talks about, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It was very dangerous traveling down this road. Uh, it's the setting for the parable of the Good Samaritan. You should never travel alone here because the, you can see how easy it would be for robbers hiding behind the corners to just jump out and take you. So you should always travel as a group here. And it was called the Valley of the Shadow of Death, um, as, as we heard. Actually, the bottom of the valley is con constantly in shadow. The sunlight never reaches the bottom of this valley. Come on, Justine. Here we are at Bethany, and this is the house of, uh, near the house of some of Jesus' favorite friends. Uh, we're told in John 11 that Lazarus was his friend, and his sister Mary and Martha. Do you remember Mary and Martha? Mary was the one who was always wanting to be at Jesus' feet. Martha, bless her, and also was very busy serving. And, uh, and so they were two opposite characters, but they both loved him in their own ways and they had a house here in Bethany and often Jesus would come to Bethany and have fellowship here with his friends particularly in the weeks before uh, the, the cross this would be his base and uh, this was the place where he was anointed for burial uh, by Mary and Jesus commended him for that so this is a wonderful place just over the the Mount of Olives on the other side of the Mount of Olives and then they would go into Jerusalem over the, over the Mount of Olives. But the place, the thing that we remember this for the most is the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. Do you remember Jesus waited four days and then he raised Lazarus from the dead? And he did this as a sign because there were a number of messianic miracles that the Jews believed that only the Messiah could do. And one of those messianic miracles, there were five of them, was to raise someone from the dead after three days because they thought it was impossible after three days. The spirit has already departed completely. And so by waiting for four days, Jesus was making a great claim that he was the Messiah. I rejoiced when I heard them say, let us go to the house of the Lord. And now our feet are standing with him, your gates, Jerusalem. I rejoiced when I heard them say, Let us go to the house of the Lord. And now our feet are standing within your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city, built strong by the hand of the Lord. To Jerusalem will the tribes go up, the people of our God. For oh, 
the peace of Jerusalem, we pray, may peace come to your homes. For the love of my brothers and my friends, may peace come to you. For the love of the house of the Lord, I will pray for you. And may the throne of justice be restored in you. Jerusalem, God's city, built strong by the hand of the Lord. To Jerusalem will the tribes go up, the people of our This is the, uh, the Dome of the Ascension here that we'll see in a minute. And it used to be a church because Christians would mark this place as the peak of the Mount of Olives. So as Jesus was raised and ascended visibly and physically into heaven, so physically he will come back from heaven. 
That's why we know at his second coming he will actually come back here to the, to, to the Mount of Olives. Zechariah prophesied that his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives and it will be split in two. And there is an earthquake crack through here and that it will just need the heat to say, be split and it will create a valley in the middle of the, the Mount of Olives. Do you know when Jesus cursed the fig tree, which was a judgment, he also said, you can speak to the mountain and it will be removed. And where was he standing when he said that? He was standing here on the Mount of Olives. And do you remember he said, Who's, you can speak to this mountain. And that's exactly, he's, he's going to practice what he preached. He's going to speak to this mountain and be removed. And it's going to be removed. And it's going to be divided in half. And then it says, it, the waters from the temple in Jerusalem, the, 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 the temple mount will be raised up to be the highest mountain in the world and waters are going to flow down through this valley and make the Dead Sea alive again. And Ezekiel pictures this in his vision. So tremendous changes are going to happen around here. So he went to the place called Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 36, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. It was so crushing, his, it, was, it was crushing his very life. Stay here and keep a watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you well. And the cup was the cup of God's judgment on his sin. Would he drink that cup, the cup of our sin, the cup of God's judgment on our sin? Everything in him said, no, I don't want to drink that cup. But he said, but your will be done, Lord. Now, we couldn't give explanations in there, but this is actually one of the most genuine sights we're going to find. Because in there, I don't know if you saw the square hole in the, in the cave wall. That, that was the natural cave wall from before the time of Christ. There was a square in there, which fits exactly, if you remember at Nazareth Village, the, the olive press. That long beam that would come out the wall, that was the first that was used to press the olives. So olive trees were all over the hillside. But Gethsemane itself literally means the place of the oil press. You know, the actual place, Gethsemane, is that cave. It's the place of the oil press. So at harvest time, which is this time of the year, they were harvesting the olives, they would take all the olives down from the Mount of Olives into that cave, and that's where those olives were pressed. So Gethsemane, that is Gethsemane in a sense, and then it gives its name to the Garden of Gethsemane. But Gethsemane itself is that place where the oil press is. And that's why we know. And also it would seem from the story that, uh, for instance, in John 18, 1 and 2, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side was an olive grove. That's the garden. And he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Jesus spent a lot of time in that cave. I believe many times when he was in Jerusalem, you know, rather than doing the journey over the Mount of Olives, they, he slept the night with his disciples in that cave. You, you wouldn't sleep in the open 
doesn't make sense, you would use the cave. And so he would have slept many times in the cave. And, you know, so it is one of those amazing uh, places that people don't know about. If you notice, there's the, the temple here. And, and what's this place here? Antonia Fortress. And if you remember, the Jews refused to go into the, into the fortress where Pilate was. But Pilate interviewed Jesus privately, and then he came out, and they stood probably in the forecourt of the Antonia Fortress, and that is the area we're standing on now. And here, in this building, we'll get a wonderful view of the Roman paving of the time. It's called the Lithostratos, or Gabbatha. And it's the Roman pavement that we are in the area where Jesus stood and he was flogged. That's why the chapel next door, which has a little piece of the lithostratus, but this has most of it um, because it's a good, good place to believe, just outside where the Antonia Fortress was, where Jesus was flogged and where he started his r r uh, walk to Calvary, carrying the cross. Here's a diagram of the temple, if we hold it up. And uh, you'll see we, we went here this time. This is, it says here this is where the money changers would have done their business, at the south end of the Temple Mount. Uh, here's the Wailing Wall here. Notice, actually, that's the level of the Wailing Wall at the moment. But it would be much more impressive in Jesus' time because just a little bit is showing now. It would have been much higher twice as high, but also it would have gone down another 19 Herodian stones down. You can imagine what a sight that would have been. But anyway, here we are at the Antonia Fortress where Pilate would have done his business and we're right on that spot where Jesus stood before Pilate, was scourged and then started his walk. And we'll see that it talks about the a pavement outside here where this all took place. This is called Zedekiah's Cave. Uh, the reason it's called that, that it talks about King Zedekiah at the time of the Babylonian invasion tried to escape through, through here, and, uh, but he got caught. But also it's called Solomon's Quarries because it's believed that here, uh, they, if you remember, they, they, when they built the temple, no sound of quarrying was actually heard on the temple site. And in fact, all the quarrying of the stone was done here. And uh, this is part of Mount Moriah, but they, there's a big quarry area here. The Golgotha face, that's all part of a big quarry area here. So the mountain has been quarried in order to build the temple and other buildings in Jerusalem. So this is a massive cave. Consider well her ramparts, view her citadels, that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this is our God, our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. So there's a, a scripture to go around Jerusalem. We can't do all of Jerusalem, but we'll just go a little bit 
down the wall here and come back and, uh, and pray for Jerusalem and you'll get an interesting view from here as well. I'm hoping to go far enough that we'll see the Golgotha uh, shape in the rock, but we'll have to move quickly. We have an appointment in the garden tomb in 20 minutes, so... Yeah, is it, this, it got this right? My name is Ken and welcome to the garden tomb. This garden is not owned by any church or denomination, just folk who love the Lord Jesus, a group in England known as the Garden Tomb Association and they named it such way back in 1893 or four. Personally, I wish they called it the Garden of the Resurrection because that's what it's all about, life and not death. And we worship a dead God. Uh, we don't worship a dead God, but a living, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So consequently, as I say, I think it's the Garden of the Resurrection. Now, why did they buy this place? Well, they bought it because they believed it was the garden once owned by Joseph, who came from the village of Arimathea. And the Bible tells us that Joseph from Arimathea had permission from Pontius Pilate to take the dead body of Jesus from the cross, place it in his own private sepulchre, and it was from Joseph's sepulchre that Christ was gloriously raised from the dead. Now, why did they pick on this site? First, they went back into the book of Genesis. And there we read, when Abraham was living down in Beersheba, God spoke to him, and God said, take your son Isaac into the land of Moriah, and there offer him as a sacrifice. Now you're in the land of Moriah right now. This is the northern end of Mount Moriah all the way around here. And it is the highest point. Now Levitical law tells us in the first chapter of the book of Leviticus that the great and glorious sacrifice must be made on the north side of the altar slantwise. This is the north end of Mount Moriah, and the south is at the Temple Mount. So if that is south down there, this northwise of the altar. Now, south and north, the bus station down here, obviously then, don't tell anybody, but it is Mount Moriah. Now, the front had fallen in, as I told you. There's the piece that was built up. The entrance, twice the height that it should be, because you will remember that Peter and John came running on Resurrection Day. John ran faster than Peter and got her first and bent down to look in. You may wonder why he bent down with the entrance like that. Well, the reason is it's twice the height now that it should be. When you walk inside, you're going to walk into a large weeping chamber. It was a rich man's re weeping chamber. A rich man would always have a large room for his folk to come and mourn for him and with him. So you'll go inside a large weeping chamber. Then you will, I want you to have a look around to make sure that you are not in a cave. This is the only tomb in the area with a rolling stone entrance, 
and it is certainly the only tomb in the area that is not a cave. This is cut from solid rock. Okay, this is the soul hole, and where they believe that the, the souls of the departed would leave. But also, it's in at an angle such that the sun would shine down through that to the empty grave. So as Peter and John came and looked in to the right, they would have actually seen the empty tomb, the scene that it was empty because it would have been illuminated by the sunlight. Okay, here, here's the remains of an iron nail that has been uh, analyzed. And they've shown that by the nature of the material, it was from the first century. So this isn't shrapnel. This is a nail from the first century. If you think of the rolling stone covering the whole entrance, this large stone, and then they put a seal across it, and then it would, they would have, they would, the Romans would have used a nail to hold that in place. It's in exactly the right position for that, considering the size of that rolling stone. So this nail held the stone in place, because that's downhill here, and this would be the edge of the seal. If you know the story from the Gospels, the angel rolled the stone back, and that would have sheared off the, the nail as a result. This is part of the original rock face. Now I'll just tell you the story as Ron Wyatt described it, which was, he was walking along here one time, and as he was walking by, he found, he's found himself saying, this is Jeremiah's grotto, and this is where the Ark of the Covenant is. And as a result of that, he was walking with an archeologist and he was given permission to dig here. And there's no denying the fact that he dug here. It's just over the interpretation of what he found. There's no denying that he dug here. In fact, there's been more digging here recently. That's the reason why this is all blocked over. As he dug down, what he found first of all were cutouts in the, in the rock face. Now this is the top one, and there are two others. And do you know when it talks about putting signs above where Jesus was crucified, saying he's the king of the Jews. That wouldn't have been above the cross. It had to be big enough so everyone could see it. And there are these three cutouts in the wall and this place for the Roman eagle there. And so about 20 feet down, as he dug down, he found what could well be cross holes and a cross hole plug that he took back to his museum in America. And he believed that was then the, actually the crucifixion site and 20 feet down and these are the cross holes above it so if that's correct that's the crucifixion site the story then goes on that 20 feet lower than that even he was the cave that he dug down in this area underneath here and he found that cave where the Ark of the Covenant is obviously it's controversial because he's the only person who's actually seen it so you know we won't make any further comments on that, but that's, and the, the amazing thing about the story is that the blood from the cross, as he died on the cross, would have gone down through the earthquake crack from the cross hole onto the Ark of the Covenant. And in a sense, that's what you'd expect, that the blood of the sacrifice had to fall, according to all the typology, the blood has to be taken and sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant, on God's thro earthly throne. Also, he took it to God's heavenly throne as well in order to complete the covenant. And so that's the story of Ron Wyatt. And, uh, you know, I'll leave that with you to decide. Shalom Aleichem. Shalom.
Shalom.